I'm going to say that the people I've met along the way and, you know, um, the decisions that I've made along the way within my career, however very wrong they felt at the time, have always been right. Um, and that I think the biggest thing that I've learned throughout my professional career is don't be afraid to make a decision that one will upset people um, um, and that two you're uncertain of because from uncertainty um, and from upset you know it it generally means that you're doing something for yourself to better yourself um, and I think that's that's the biggest thing that I would take from my professional career you know a life is really hard and um you know sometimes you've got to make very difficult decisions and for you to progress professionally um you're gonna have to make some really really tough decisions that was omar mezian I'm Curtis Mansfield, and this is the Hips and Dips podcast. For the recipe for guest number 12, you want to start off with a prime cutter chef from Moroccan and English heritage, well-aged with experience at the Oxo Tower, Jarvis, Baxter Story and Beale Hotels, and perfectly seasoned with the experience from the Spice Girls tour in 2019. Then combine the remainder of those ingredients together in the pan, including Wickham Wanderers Football Club, London Wasps Rugby Football Club, England Cricket, British Rowing, Harlequins Rugby, GB Hockey, and of course, England Football. And cover those ingredients with a broth of acclaimed literative work with published books such as Cooking for Fitness and Perfect Fit, uh, which he co-authored with James Haskell and features in uh, FS Magazine, Sainsbury's, Waitrose and The Times. And allow that to reduce on a low heat and finally serve on a World Cup winner's medal, garnished with TV appearances with the Hairy Bikers, James Martin and Channel 4's Food Chain. And voila, there you have it, Omar Mezian, one of the most experienced sports chefs in the country. If any of you found that meandering introduction confusing, let me summarise for you. Omar is a fantastic chef with years of experience working only in top hotels, but also more recently in many sporting institutions. He has prepared food for some of the most prolific athletes in the world, and I hope he can offer some really interesting insights in not only cooking for performance, but also cooking for recovery. When I initially had the idea for this podcast, Omar was top of my list of dream guests. So I'm so grateful he's given me the opportunity to speak to him. And I hope you enjoyed this bumper long edition of the podcast. And I think that dish has rested just long enough. So I think it's time now to head over and talk to Omar Mazian. Right, Omar, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? I'm really well, mate. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm terribly excited to be speaking to you uh, today. Yeah, great. I think... Uh... Of all the guests I'm most gutted about not being in the same room with, I think it has to be a chef because uh, I'm sure you'd have had some some treats lined up. I could have brought some special treats along for us to sit and sample perhaps, um, <laughs> but there's always the future, hey? 
Well, exactly. Um, so I had planned to get you on right back at the start, I think week three or four. But with uh, the various lockdowns and various commitments, etc., it hasn't happened till now. But I'm delighted we can finally sit down and chat. Um, but but yeah, so we start every episode really by kind of reviewing how 2020 has been for our guests um, in terms of their health. So we're looking at like a physical, mental and social perspective. So very open question. How was 2020 for you? Well, I've got to say, I've got to say, actually, um, in terms of my mental health, at the, at the very beginning of 2020, um, it was in a dire place, actually. You know, um, I was I was working like a lunatic. I couldn't keep up. Um, and then lockdown came. And do you know what? It gave me it gave me a moment of clarity was what it did it gave me a moment where I could stop um, for the first time in 10 years I was able to stop and spend a little bit of time with my family um, bearing in, in mind that my son was 10 in August of last year you know it was the first time I'd ever spent two weeks solidly with him um, it was a it was a moment where I think for uh, probably day two or day three of lockdown, um, I'm sure me and my wife looked at one another and said, this is going to end in divorce. <laughs> you know, um, But actually, you know, I think as a family unit, um, we, uh, we did really well out of it. We came together as a family unit. Um, and like I say, for me personally, it gave me a moment of clarity. I was able to shut the world down, regroup, refocus, um, and 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 just that two weeks, it was it was brilliant. You know, I'll caveat that by saying, you know, that that post the first two weeks of lockdown, um, I began working again you know from home and and trying to develop and work and and work through it um and it's since been the craziest kind of nine ten eleven months of my life um but mentally in a really good place um i did the usual things at the beginning of lockdown i baked a lot of banana bread <laughs> um i did a lot of a lot of exercise I suffered severely with DOMS, you know, <laughs> um, and found myself having to slide up and down the stairs on my bum. Um, but I found myself being, uh, yeah, for me, um, it kind of brought me back to center and I was able to concentrate on the things that I'm passionate about. So all in all, you know, with all the terrible stuff that's gone on in the world, um, for me personally, um, I think I thrived through it. Well, well that's obviously fantastic. I think I yeah. think a lot of people learn to prioritise things slightly differently. So, so many people seem to put their career first for a long time and they realised the importance of having that family and that work-life balance, which I suppose has kind of forced you to reevaluate and not yeah, just you as people in general, yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. You know, it, it was like I say, 
you know, my work has taken me all over the world and allowed me very little time at home. Um, and and I suppose those two weeks were just um, really, really desperately important to me. And and had there not have been a national lockdown at that point, you know, back in March, April last year, um, I I would have. I would have just carried on, you know, um, and missed those really important moments. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I suppose as a as a chef, you're fairly lucky that you personally aren't too dictated by the hospitality industry. So I'm sure a lot of your friends and colleagues in uh, the world of hospitality have had a much different maybe experience. Lots more ups and downs in terms of restaurants opening, closing jobs on the line etc yeah. i suppose you've been somewhat lucky that you're i suppose in some ways lucky some ways unlucky we did a, more, a lot more freelance work a lot more working for sports organizations mm. so you're not so much tied down to a particular restaurant uh, for some of my uh, kind of friends in the industry it's 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 been a devastating time you know um to be working flat out one minute and then for their essentially not to really be an industry you know it's mm. it's kind of gone it's been decimated um and whether it will come back you know is is fairly worrying at present um but you're quite right you know right at the beginning of the lockdown i i had a particular business model um that i was able to turn to my advantage you know so i was still able to work um I was still able to provide, you know, my services to a number of world-class athletes. Um, and it kind of served me a, a really well. Uh, but again, it uh, what it enabled me to do was make it really specific to those individuals, you know. So a massive learning curve for myself, you know, as you can probably imagine, when you're cooking for you know, 60, 70 rugby players um, and you're feeding them three times a day within a six and a half hour period, essentially what you're doing is you're cooking really good quality food. Um, but it's, it's fairly generic in terms of, of you know, what it's going to do for them. Um, what this allowed me to do was concentrate my skills and my knowledge on looking mm. after individual needs. Um, again, just a real positive and possibly something that I wouldn't have accomplished had there not have been the 2020 that we all experienced. So that's a classic example of taking the negative of 2020, but using it for a positive. Oh, and I think so many Maybe. people, if they actually yeah. thought about it, can see the positives that have come from this year. Yeah, mate. I think it could have swallowed us all, couldn't it? You know, yeah. it, it could have it could have become this all-consuming darkness. Um, but you know, there's so many positive stories um, that have come out of 2020, and I don't think that you know we should forget those easily. You know, because it's 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 quite nice, you know, to look back on those things and and 
you know, when we all started clapping for you guys at working hospitals, you know, that that sense of community that I had never experienced in my life, you know, I, for me personally, I've always been fairly anti-community, you know, I've, I've lived in London and so on and so forth. And, you know, you don't look at anybody on the tube, let alone look at anybody you're passing in the street. And this kind of brought people together didn't it you know mm. it made us feel like we were fighting a common enemy um and that we all for the first time possibly in my lifetime we all had something in common um it was kind of what you imagine that that a kind of ww2 spirit to have felt like you know um and bringing people together and delivering you know, at one point I was trying to deliver food uh, to elderly people within my area and trying to look after, you know, people here and, and, and trying to offer my services, you know, elsewhere to those that really needed it. Um, under normal circumstances, I possibly wouldn't have been motivated to, uh, to have done that. So, yeah, well, for me fantastic. personally, 2020, yeah, it was a positive place that's led me into 2021 with an even more positive uh, kind of mindset you know for the future well great and we're going to get on to the future later in the episode um as well as the past and the present before we get to that we're going to have a little um a little ice breaking game i've started this new trend uh i think if people have listened to recent weeks they've probably worked out this is just an excuse for me to do some puns uh (laughs) And this week is no, this week's no different. So, okay. <laughs> I had a few options. Uh, first one was out of the frying pan into the fire. Didn't go with right. that one. <laughs> we had a uh, kick it to the herb. Didn't go okay. with that one either. Yeah. Mate, that's great. Winner, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you think so? But what I've got yeah. in the end is a great game, which I call Stars in Their Fries. Yeah. <laughs> you're a genius you're a, yeah. you're a genius <laughs> which is going to combine uh, your love of both sport and cooking and right. this is the basic game ready so i've got 10 examples yeah of um athletes or sort of sportsmen or women uh, who have founded their own restaurants yeah okay. so for example uh as an example of michael jordan he owns a restaurant in america called michael jordan steakhouse so yep. if I was to say that to you, you would say true and you get a point. Yeah. Okay. Some of them are true, some okay. of them are false. Very okay. Silly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you ready? You got the concept? Okay, I'm incredibly competitive, right? So I've got to I've I've got to win this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think over the last three or four weeks, I have uh, <laughs> I have forgot to write down the scores. So it's pretty irrelevant. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> We're going to give it a good go. So, time on the clock. First off, I have Gareth Steenson, Exeter Chiefs, an England, uh, sorry, Ireland rugby player. Uh, he has his own pub slash restaurant called The Standoff. True or false? True. That is true. Good point. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, a cricket one now. The Aegeus Bowl in Southampton is home to a restaurant called Beefies, which is Part owned by Sir Ian Botham. False. No, that's true. Oh, that's true. it actually looks amazing. I tried to get a table there before. Uh, oh, wouldn't let me in. 
Uh, okay, another rugby one now. Rugby legend Dan Carter. He owns a restaurant in Auckland called Perfect Ten. False. That's that, got to be false. That is false. Um, I also yeah. have to note here saying <laughs> he's also not a shareholder in Miller and Carter either. So that's uh, that's a bonus if you've got to go that. Uh, okay, uh, Linkford, Linkford Christie, former world and Olympic sprinting champion. He owns a restaurant in London called The Lunch Club. False. That is false. That's false. Uh, Usain Bolt, uh, of the former Olympic champion, uh, goes about saying he owns, well, he part owns a restaurant in Kingston called Usain Bolt's Tracks and Records. I'm gonna go with true. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Wayne Gretzky, uh, obviously a ice hockey player. Yeah. Uh, he owns a restaurant in Toronto called, <laughs> very unimaginative, Wayne Gretzky's. True. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> Here it's very nice. What about over to America now in uh, California? Arnold Palmer, golf legend, uh, yeah. owned a restaurant called Arnold Palmer's. I'm going to go with true. That is true. That is true. I'm good at this. Uh, you're not bad. <laughs> I mean, part of it you could say is down to my poor choice of uh, restaurant names. But uh, next up, over to Sydney, where uh, swimming legend Ian Thorpe owns a seafood restaurant called Four Pedos. False. That is false. <laughs> it's just called Ian's. <laughs> uh, and then uh, what about back in England now, uh, Rio Ferdinand, ex-England and Manchester United star, uh, is a part owner in an Italian restaurant called Rosso's. I've been there, it's true. It is true, inside <laughs> knowledge. And uh, finally, number 10, uh, Bradley Wiggins, former Tour de France winner. Uh, he owns a roadside cafe in Surrey, which is called Wiggo's. Oh, oh I'm going to go false. That is false. So congratulations. You got nine out of 10 in this. Uh, actually, that's a lie. Sorry. You got eight out of 10 in this uh, oh. ultimately <laughs> meaningless quiz. But, uh, <laughs> you have won this week's episode of Stars in Their Fries. Thank you very much. <laughs> right, you're welcome. Right now, back to the serious interview. Um, so I suppose my first big question has to be, why are you a chef? Why am I a chef? I, gosh, I ask myself, I've asked myself that question every day for the last 25 years, mate. Um, why am I a chef? I think, so as a young boy, my father owned restaurants. Um, um, and where I, where I live now, um, in Maidenhead, he owned a restaurant uh, just down the road in Cookham. Um, and um, he used to drag me along to work. Uh, so every Saturday morning, he would wake me up, I would go to work with him and he would have me doing things like polishing chairs, polishing fish knives, 
anything that nobody else that he employed would ever dream of doing he had me doing um and i can vividly remember walking into that kitchen on a saturday morning and there being a group of pirate-esque looking chefs mm. that were shouting and and screaming profanity at one another whilst uh, dispatching fresh lobsters and you know boxes of fish were coming in and vegetables that that seemed to be overflowing the you know the walking fridge and and I absolutely fell in love with it like like I think from that moment on there was nothing that I ever wanted to do other than cook. I suppose I came up with some resistance, you know, being a being a being the child of an immigrant. Um, you've got a couple of options. You can be a lawyer or a doctor. That's it. <laughs> you are you are pushed until you accomplish that, you know. Um, and I and I made a stand. I made a stand and said, no, no, I, I want to cook. That's what I want to do. Um, you know, I've asked myself the question an awful lot in the 25 years that I've been cooking, which is that had I only have listened to my dad, I would have now been a consultant surgeon or I would have owned my own a law firm and I would have I would have looked much younger than I currently do. <laughs> you know, my back, my hips and my knees would be in better stand than they currently are. Um, but I wouldn't change it for a moment. You know, it's been the best, best adventure over the last kind of 25 years. Um, and um I'm still in love with it, bizarrely. Well, that's, that's perfect. Um, I mentioned, obviously, in the introduction that that path you've been on, and it hasn't yeah. been, uh, let's say, conventional by any means. But um, but from where I'm standing, it seems if, if I was going to be a chef, it'd be the perfect way to do it, what you've done. Um, so you said you're a chef, but then how did you, did you stumble into sports cooking? Or was that quite an intentional career path you took? No, not at all actually i about 12 years ago now 12 12 to 15 years ago god i'm getting so old um, you know about 12 to 15 years ago i i i i kind of stopped myself and i made a conscientious effort to try and leave the industry you know i wanted to do something else um and and my cooking career wasn't really going anywhere you know i'd worked in some great restaurants some great hotels you know arguably some some incredible mentors along the way but i just wasn't accomplishing anything you know in terms of cooking um and so i decided that i was i was going to leave um i needed to do a bit of work um so i took a job with an agency whilst I was trying to make that progression into other things. And they, they sent me to um, a Wickham Wanderers football stadium down to Adams Park, mm. which happened to be 
on my football team and I was terribly excited about it. And um, I kind of turned up on match day. Um, it was a Wasps match day. Um, I shouldn't tell you this because of who I've worked with since, but, you know, Wasps were my team, you know. Um, they had arguably the best starting 15, you know, in English rugby, um, a potentially European rugby at that time. Um, terribly excited. So I turned up there. I worked like a lunatic on that first match day. Um, and, and I was asked back uh, for, the, uh, for the football game the following weekend. Went back, you know, it's my football team now playing. And, and I fell in love again with kind of being around food and the pressures of working in stadiums. And, and then... I suppose I did that for about kind of 12 months and then I was offered a position um, because the owner at that particular time, a gentleman called uh, Steve Hayes. So he owned both Wickham Wanderers and London Wasps at the time. Um, and, and so the staff were kind of shared between both clubs um, and I was asked, would I go and cover the training ground for Wasps um, in Acton for kind of three or four months was what they were looking for initially. And I kind of jumped at that opportunity and, and you know, at day one, I, I kind of walked into that training ground and, and um, I remember being accosted by Tim Payne, um, who just one of the largest human beings I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. um, who, 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 I, and I vividly remember this to this day, said to me, all right, boy, the food better be good. <laughs> otherwise we'll have you out on your ear. You know, in comparison to him, I'm probably a quarter of his size at the time, you know. So it's like, yes, Mr. Payne, I'll, I'll do whatever you want, you know. And um, I suppose it, it was at the point where food in sport was pretty much kind of generic. It was steamed chicken, tomato sauce and pasta. That's what everybody thought that athletes, professional athletes, should be eating all of the time, you know. Um, and it was pretty much the same. If you went to any... Premier League football club, Premier League rugby club. Um, if you went and visited any training centre for any of our, our wonderful Olympic teams, you were almost guaranteed the menu would be chicken, pasta and tomato sauce. And, and then this wonderful human being turned up and kind of started working with me that a guy who's now my business partner, a guy and then Mike Naylor. Um, and, and me and Mike have worked now together for the past 12 to 15 years. Um, and Mike kind of said to me, look, I want you to cook food that you know and love. I want you to take your North African heritage and I want you to bring that into sport for me. Um, and it was the first time in my career where I really developed, you know, 
my own style of cooking. Mm. Um, I fell back on my roots and the flavors that I had eaten as a child. Um, and then started to learn the benefits of, of kind of eating well, of eating for performance, of eating for recovery. Um, and that's kind of where the story, I suppose, began, you know, and then everything I've done after that has, has, has just been an absolute a kind of love affair. Okay, so I'm sure it's changed a lot over the years, but mm. it's just this take if it was now. So yeah, uh, you're currently involved in the FA. So I've just yeah. finished my training session with the England first team. I've come stumbling in, you know, mud yeah. on my knees, etc. Um, and I've grabbed my plate and I've walked up to the counter. What does like the standard FA setup look like? Mate, it would it would literally, I'm I'm fairly certain that it would blow most people's minds you know what we what we put on so so you would walk up first and foremost you'd be presented with this massive tower of of salads you know and that might be you know my famous watermelon feta and pumpkin seed salad that might be a load of a kind of balsamic roasted beetroot and squash salad and so on um and then at the fa we would generally, and what we do is we try and cook as much of it there in front of them as possible. So, so the fish, for instance, let's say we've got red mullet and grapefruit vinaigrette with it, you know, we'd be pan frying all of that. We'd be dressing it in the grapefruit vinaigrette. Um, <clears throat> and then my co-chefs would potentially be cooking, you know, something like paella, you know, or we'll have um we do these whole roast fillets that we marinate for 48 hours you know and then we barbecue them outdoors kind of irregardless of weather we'll carve those freshly for them you know um and then it will be multiples of, of kind of good carbohydrates um, and then and then again more vegetables than you could possibly imagine you know I think one thing I'm very I'm very proud of in my life is is how well we feed those football players, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, just a, a quick note to self: never record a podcast about food pre dinner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a regret I've just had, and I hope no one's listening to this pre dinner because it's a it's a disaster. Um, but actually, you know, I have watched I've watched a few documentaries over the years. Uh, hmm particularly around the NFL in America. As you know, like yeah. America, everything's bigger in America, as they say. Absolutely. And I remember one about, I think it was the Washington football team, as I know now. And uh, I remember what was interesting was quite a lot of players are quite old school still. So yeah. you, I was a similar setup. You'd walk in, there was like an omelette bar, like a salad station. They always had like some form of fish and meat with... Um, but then your choice of like pasta or quinoa or rice, so depending yeah. on whether you're trying to cut weight, gain weight, you're high impact, you're injured, etc. Um, but then there was quite a few players who kind of would bypass all that luxurious cooking and they go for like the the blender station where you'd have like your protein shakes and your various yeah. supplements. So they were very like, and obviously some some athletes were going, well, why would you bother wasting time on all that powdered rubbish where you've got like amazing food right in front of you? Yeah. But the other ones are very much like, well, I don't almost, I don't trust that food. You know, I just like 
I would like my shake. I know there's everything I need. Uh, so I suppose there's a contrast in players, but how, how has your food been received generally in from players? Yeah, I think when I came into sport, it was, it was very much a kind of protein shake. You know, it was, it was most, a kind of definitely, it was supplement almost before food. You know, a big thing that, uh, that me and Mike have done, you know, around the teams that we've worked with is we've always, we've always managed to turn it around so that food, our food comes first, you know, uh, to the point that actually, you know, within a lot of teams that we've worked in, you know, supplementation kind of dies off actually uh, because and what we do is huge pieces around education, you know, Mike, I will always kind of do the educational pieces in, in making, you know, those pro athletes really truly understand the power of food. And then, and then I suppose the reason that we work so very well together is that I cook really delicious food you know mm. uh, so why have a protein shake when i can make you an omelet and get as much protein into you as that protein shake but rather than you just having a chocolate flavored shake you're sitting and you're having something that is really delicious you're taking you know a few moments of your busy manic schedule and you're sitting and you're not having to concentrate you know you can just share a very special moment where you can sit and enjoy food yeah and i suppose how is that um how do you find is there any conflict perhaps with players when they come from their clubs to to england so do you have say players who at when they're training at tottenham they gain it's much more of a supplement based routine and they come to you and then they're, they're surprised that there's a different setup and then they go back to tottenham and then they're they're surprised again that now there's not that food is it do you find that weird for players that transition yeah well I think what we uh, what we do at England is as soon as players come into camp you know um so uh, for instance players will uh, uh, play games on a Sunday um and then they'll arrive into camp to us on a Monday um so we kind of enter straight into recovery mode you know we need to we need to help all of these players recover as quickly as possible so that we can get them back on that route because we need them to play potentially on the Thursday mm. um, and so our job at England because we have players for such short periods of time you know is to prep them to train hard and play hard, then enable them to recover as quickly as possible. You know, if we're playing on a Thursday, for instance, we then potentially might be playing on a Sunday or a Monday. So we need to aid their recovery as quickly as possible so that we can get them back up to match fitness so that they're able to play, you know, for 90 minutes again. As where at the clubs potentially because they have slightly larger squads and because of rotation you know um and because 
although they go through very intense periods of the seasons, you know, there are also periods where as cup games disappear, you know, um, and they just fall back into league games, is that the clubs are then able to, you know, work with them in far more detail than we actually do at England, you know. I suppose the exciting point is is for us at England is then around tournaments um, because we have them for a few weeks before we enter the tournament. We'll then travel to tournament destination and generally have them for about a week before our first game. But then generally speaking, as soon as we enter that first game, it is game after game after game after game. And we it is just that. I suppose it's that constant cycle between recovery as quickly as possible and then feeding them back up so that they've got the energy to run around for 90 minutes, you know. Um, mm. So in, in terms of in physical terms, so what's actually going on the plate, how do things differ between the day after a game and then match day itself? So you're, you're more recovery food than you're... Yeah, so I suppose if I spoke to you through the kind of 24-hour period, you know, around a game. Uh, so game day minus one, you know, um, we uh, we kind of start to feed the carbs in. So it's a... Uh, we start to feed all the pasta dishes in, you know. Um, uh, England pasta becomes really, really important around game day minus one. Um and then we have the game day minus one kind of um, evening meal, which, which for me, I, I, I still get butterflies in my stomach. You know, I've been doing it for the best part of three and a half years now. And for me, it's still the most nerve wracking feed, you know, of the week. Um, so again, it's quite heavy carbs. You know, we want them to get around six grams of carb per kilo of body weight in mm -hmm. um you know that night before um so we want to feed them up feed them up but then we have the rice pudding okay uh, and the rice pudding at england is um it's the most important thing that i cook believe it or not you know if the rice pudding is not right um then it's almost guaranteed that we will lose the game. <laughs> and um, I'll always remember, just very quickly, I'll always remember my first ever camp and we played a game away in Malta. It was my first ever England game of football for senior men. And um, I've turned up in this glamorous five-star hotel and the pastry chef there has said, look, we make the best rice pudding. Don't worry about it. You know, I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. That's fantastic. And at the end of dinner, Jamie Vardy comes up to me and says, "Here, chef, have you got a moment? I was like, yeah, of course, mate. What can I do for you? He went, right, I'm head of the rice pudding committee. Um, and I was like, right? And he said, that was not acceptable. That, that was not acceptable. It had lemon and stuff in it. He said, we just want rice pudding. <laughs> um, I learned very, very quickly after that, 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 you know, the rice pudding had to be a certain consistency it had to be a certain sweetness. It had to, it had to be this real kind of unctuous thing. Uh, one, because 
you know, it's a great way of ramming up those carbohydrates to give them the energy for the next day. Um, but two, from a, a, a mental viewpoint, you know, it was as soon as they have that rice pudding, they kind of switch into game mode. You know, that's the last treat before we go to battle. Um, and it's, it's still the most important thing that I cook. You know, and I would I would absolutely say it's it's singularly the most important thing I've ever cooked in my life. You know, you can't imagine the pressure that I put on myself to cook that rice pudding before we played uh, Croatia in the semi-final of the World Cup. <laughs> if it wouldn't have been right, you know, um, no, you're gonna live I got yourself. it right that night. You know, I got it right that night. Unfortunately, the result didn't go our way, but you know. Um, so as we come out of, of, of kind of game day minus one and we go into game day again, you know, it's all about if we're playing at eight o'clock in the evening, that means that we've got three meals that day where we can get all of those carbohydrates into them so that they can run around for 90 minutes, you know, so breakfast, um and what we tend to do is steer them away from kind of the high protein options uh, so we i tend to steer them away from the eggs and we go more towards the porridge the birch muesli etc you know as we then come into lunch uh, because they'll train after breakfast straight into lunch after training um and again it's it's about a carbohydrate intake. You know, it's all about a kind of energy now. Um, and so the pasta bar, um, where we cook all of the pasta live and make it all up for them, you know, so it's not only doing them the world of good in terms of that carb intake, but it's really delicious as well. Um, then they'll generally go off and and have their own individual preparation time, you know, be that sleeping or cutting their hair or making sure, you know, whatever needs to happen for them individually. Um, and then it's straight back into pre-match, kind of that three hour period before the game, um, where again, it's about getting that last bit of food into them, you know, and it might not be much, um, you know, the portions tend to come much smaller as the nerves are kind of set in as well you know um which is, is the one thing you never think about you never think about a human being of of their fame and and skill um being nervous but you know these boys get nervous before they go onto that football pitch um so then they'll go off and they'll uh, play the game of football and generally speaking, a lot of the time, if we're coming back to the same hotel, I will then stay at the hotel. Um, and it's all about getting the post-match feed are completely and utterly ready for them, you know. So they'll come off the pitch. There'll be food in the dressing room. Um, so at Wembley, you know, the chefs at Wembley put together Buddha bowls and, you know, there'll be pizza. There might be you know some fried chicken and so on and it's just something so that we can get something into them straight after the game mm -hmm. um and we then travel back to the hotel 
and and it's kind of again it's about getting really really tasty food into them you know um it's 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 not per se about nutrition at this point you know i think a lot of it is based around a kind of mental well-being you know so there's a a, you know we do burgers we do a pizza we do my incredible fried chicken um you know we do fried calamari we have sweet potato wedges um there's very little vegetable involved um, in actual fact, a post-match, the only vegetable we have is roasted tender stem broccoli. And that is just because the captain um, must have tender stem broccoli with every meal he has. So, you know, um, um, but it's all about getting really good quality, tasty food into them. So if we win, you know, it becomes a little bit of a victory and a little bit of a celebration. And if we lose, you know, it's that it's all right. It's not the end of the world, but here's something really tasty that can just make you feel a bit better. You know, um, you know, when we've all had down days in life, um, and you get home and you eat abysmal food, it's possibly going to send you further down that black hole, isn't it? You know, um, but when you get home, it's been a really hard day. You know, you can unwind and you end up with a really tasty bowl of food. You know, the power of that can just kind of lift your spirit, can't it? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I've I've got to rewind slightly and just I'm really intrigued as to how Jamie Vardy got that role. Um, as being head of the rice pudding, did he take it by force, I, or was he democratically I, I, elected? Yeah. I would, I would say that he took it by force. I would, <laughs> I would say that he definitely took it by force. Um, yeah, it was, like I say, it was all really new to me, and to have, you know, it's Jamie Vardy. I, I don't know these boys at that point in my life, and to have Jamie Vardy walk up to me and say, "Right, I'm head of the rice pudding committee." That was not good enough, you know. You learn very quickly, <laughs> you know. Um, but then it, as we move into game day plus one, <clears throat> we it then all becomes about recovery, doesn't it? So it's about putting good quality protein into them, uh, you know, uh, to enable them to be able to recover, to be able to start training again um, so that, you know, the strength and conditioning team can put all of their protocols into place to enable them to get back to training the very next day so that we're fit and ready uh, to go and play another game of football in potentially 48 hours' time. Yeah, well, that must be really interesting, particularly for international sport, because you can have, in preparation for a major tournament, like you said, you can have two weeks of just pure training yeah. And then potentially like three games in the space of say 10 days yeah. and then tournament over if you're yeah. unlucky or as some England teams have been in recent tournaments. Or if yeah, I mean, I've got to say that both, yeah, that both of the England tournaments I've now been on, um, I've got to say we've done well. The first one I went on, I came back with a shiny gold medal hmm. and the second one I went on, you know, we got to a semi-final. So I'm not saying it's me, but 
potentially it's me, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, you've got to take your bit. Um, uh, so I, I suppose one thing that's quite interesting, and we'll stick to football for now, but I'm quite conscious yeah. I want to talk about some of the other uh, CV elements as well. But on yeah. the football terms, you're, um, you obviously did the World Cup in 2018. Yeah. In, in, was, was that Rio? Was that, that was Russia, wasn't uh, it? Russia. Russia. Yeah. yeah, in yeah. Russia. And then you're doing the uh, World Cup in 2022 and obviously the Euros in between. Yeah. Um, what's it like in terms of sourcing food? Is that, that must be part of your role as well. So say when you're in Russia, was it just as easy to get hold of as much pasta as you needed to do the team? Or so, did you have to adapt your menu slightly? I'm going to let you into a little secret here, okay? That's only for us and everyone that's listening. So... When I went on my first England tournament, it was to the under-17s World Cup in Korea. Uh, to the under-20s World Cup, apologies, um, in Korea. And I was sat on an aeroplane flying to Korea, not really being given much information about facilities or, you know, our produce, etc. And the operations manager turned to me and said, so how does it work for you in terms of sourcing ingredients? And I sat there terrified that I had missed something off the email saying I had to source the ingredients. <laughs> Thankfully, I got to Korea um, and there was everything that I needed. Um, and I've got to say, you know, the World Cup in Russia, um, in terms of the 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 overall hospitality, the welcome um, that we received um, and the availability of produce, you know, it was just phenomenal. I, I, I never had a problem with sourcing anything. Um, the people were just willing, you know, I mean, it helps for us when we've got Harry Kane in our team because, you know, they're all obsessed with the Premier League. They're all obsessed with Harry um so most people are willing to bend over backwards and do whatever they can to support us um but actually speaking i've never had any real horror stories um about i think there was one horror story i had where we went somewhere i asked for 30 kilos of chicken and they sent me 30 live chickens um and when I asked the chef and I said you know look I'm really sorry but I can't dispatch 30 chickens you know it's it's I you know I don't mind if I have to but is there any chance we could get some that's already done for us (laughs) (laughs) okay so I said I'm I'm conscious a little bit of time because I think we could we could talk for days yeah, about the subjects but one thing which i do want to get on to is that we had multiple sports in your cv uh, yeah. rowing swimming um and obviously i suppose each sport comes with its own challenges in terms mm. of for you as a, as a chef so if we take two examples if we take your ashes preparation with the england cricket team yeah and then we'll stick actually we'll go with say wasps when you're about wasps for rugby yeah. um how does your whole cooking ethos and planning change between those two sports one sport where it's very long days of cricket with obviously relatively short periods of nutritional intake but not much high impact um exertion 
the other sport where you have just that sort of 80 minutes of pure exertion and a very high impact, very high strength base requirement as well. So how did, how can you, how do you adapt just your game for them? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm very fortunate in the fact that I, I've never pretended to be a nutritionist, you know, um, and I'm not, um, I have the, I have the fortunate, um, joy of working with arguably some of the brightest talent in performance nutrition globally that we produce in this country. Um, so for me as the chef, you know, it's about taking that science that they deliver, understanding that science and turning that into food. Now, from a food point of view, um, that means that, you know, quite simply a rugby player needs to eat a darn sight more calories than somebody who is playing cricket you know mm. um and i suppose you're looking what you're looking for is you know a rugby player is high protein throughout the week high carbohydrates you know towards the weekend um uh, uh, simply for repair and recovery um and then so that they can run around for that 80 minutes, you know, um, as well as cricket, what you want is you want somebody to be really cognitively aware, even when they're sat there, you know, and they're, and they're waiting to play, you want them to have enough energy, but you don't want to overfeed them because potentially they're sat around for six to eight hours doing very little so it's a it's about having a very very clear but yet basic understanding of 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 i i suppose when to feed and how to feed you know um and i suppose a good example of that i suppose you could translate that to somebody that works on a building site you know uh, potentially they can eat what they want whenever they want and they'll probably never look out of shape you know yeah as whereas somebody that has a more kind of sedentary job are sat in an office if they were to eat what the builder was eating um potential is you know and i'm a fine example of this you know potential is that you start to balloon you know um so what you learn is you learn to eat a much leaner meals, you know, if you've got that sedentary position. Um, and, and for me, I mean, I can relate it back to me, you know, whenever I'm office based, um, um, I tend to, I tend to go lean protein, lots of green vegetables, you know, and that will be essentially what I eat throughout the day and the evening. However, if I'm back in the kitchen, you know, if I'm back on an England camp, for instance, I can generally get away with eating whatever I want because I'm on my feet for 18 hours a day. I can I can eat as many, you know, potatoes, as much deep fried chicken as I can get my hands on. Um, simply because I know that I'm almost carb loading for the next day, you know. Well, yeah. So I think sports... Our sports nutrition can sometimes be this very 
overly complicated, overly complex subject, which no doubt when you start to look at the real, real science behind it, um, it really, it really very is. Um, however, with what I do, it's taking basic science and turning it into, into produce that just becomes, I suppose, incredibly delicious to consume. You know, that's, and that's what I do. Yeah, and I, I suppose I said cricket's a great example of a sport which is so unpredictable, as you alluded yeah. to earlier. But yeah. um, obviously, you weren't involved in this this tour. But say um, the Ashes in twenty nineteen, when Ben yeah. Stokes hit the record run chase. Yeah. when he woke up in the morning, there was a good chance Ben Stokes could have hit like two balls and then been sat on his ass the rest of the day. Yes. Um, in the end, I mean, I don't know all the stats were, but obviously it was when a heart rate monitor. I'm sure he was up in like the seven, eight, nine thousand yeah. calories probably for the day he burnt, especially on a hot day. Yeah. I think it was in the end. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so as a nutritionist or as a as a chef, whatever, you're probably waking up in the morning going, right, Ben, get your porridge and your 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 carbs in you in the morning, and so that yeah. all could go to waste. And then he obviously in terms of weight management and stuff, it's obviously very hard. You can't expect him then to go and run, you know, a marathon to make up for it. So <laughs> it's very, say you take rugby and okay, yes, you could get injured or you could have a red card or whatever. But generally yeah. when you wake up in the morning, you know, they're going to play 80 minutes or 60 minutes yeah. of high intense sport. So yeah. sound predictability, that's really interesting. It's a real, it's a real, a real science. You know, I'm, I was working, I actually pre-lockdown, I, I was working on a, a project with a McLaren F1 team um, around trying to focus um the food for the mechanics you know because they are real high intensity on on uh, the testing days and then as they come into the weekend you know it's an insane schedule but actually when it comes then round to the actual race day on the sunday they don't do very much but you need them to be fed. You need them to be switched on because they will literally get potentially two or three second notice and they've got to jump out of their seats, be ready with a wheel, be ready with, you know, with the hammer to take the wheel off. And, and, it's, and you get this two, two second maximum insane activity before the car's gone again and and they're back to doing nothing for 30 40 minutes um and it was all about trying to find the right food to keep them energized but keep them awake and keep them alert um i think unfortunately lockdown came and that opportunity for the next couple of seasons has disappeared but i'm sure i'll get back to it well yeah um yeah, it's actually interesting. You, you never think about there's there's some sports you never think about nutrition, and yeah. I think like F one, even including the, for the for the drivers themselves, there's so much importance in terms of hydration and stuff. But oh, yeah. you often you so often forget about nutrition in those sports. I mean, nutrition yeah. always goes back to those like classic like athletic sports, but yeah. nutrition's important for snooker players and darts players as well because you've got to have long time at the at the table high yeah. cognitive function so these sports always um forgotten about so i want to do actually one more question about cricket while i'm on the subject yeah. 
do you get involved in the the teas as it goes or are you purely pre and post day nutrition no i know i'm never involved in the teas that's always something like actually there's a a very funny story around that a kind of 2013 ashes tour which which was you know i was involved in all the menu writing and so on um and and um just before that tour i was sat at home i happened to pick up a newspaper and all over the back pages were pictures of my menus which had been leaked to the australian press because you know it was england divas had demand quinoa and kale and so on and so forth um and I got absolutely slated for it by the Australian press. <laughs> um, and it was it was quite bizarre. But, but actually, there was a real a kind of movement around that new story breaking, which was, look, these cricketers are as much athletes as anybody else. And therefore, they need to eat right to be able to perform at their best. You know, and I think... I think there was one headline that was something like, you know, the lagers and the pies at tea time have now gone. And there's been this real movement uh, kind of ever since had to really instill quality performance nutrition into cricket. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to say you got your, you got the last laugh on that tour, but... <laughs> I didn't. I don't think anyone in the England camp got the last laugh <laughs> on, uh, on that tour, from what I remember. Categorically um, didn't. <laughs> um, okay, so I suppose probably my last big question on on this um, on this nutrition side of things, I think, comes from yeah. there's this real trend recently in terms of plant based eating. Yeah. Uh, saw success of sort of various documentaries. Um, a hell of a lot of athletes at the top level said that you've got like tennis players, cyclists. Um, I think, uh, I think Chris Smalling was quite a famous football example. You yeah. might work to England yeah. as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. have gone plant-based and they've had quite a lot of success in doing so. Um, from what I can tell your recipes and menus have still stuck more to the, to the, well, I say traditional, but the, the standard way of eating the sort of the meat, the meat yeah. as your meat source of protein. Uh, have you been sort of swayed at all by this sort of modern trend? Are you very happy with the way you cook? Have you adapted got, slightly in recent years? Yeah, I've got to say that I've had a bit of a revelation recently, which is that, you know, look, I couldn't possibly comment on the actual science on, on documentaries like Game Changers or, you know, I couldn't possibly say what is the science is there any benefit um i i can only speak on personal terms here which is you know my new business um uh, we've developed some really incredible vegan food that has made me readdress the need to eat meat um my wife has put us on this a vegan a kind of diet at the moment. You know, it's January 21 and, and you know, she wants us to eat better. Um, 
And do I feel better as a human being? Yeah, I think I do. I think I do. Now, whether that's a mixture of, of something happening to my body in terms of the way it's functioning, I don't know. Um, is there is there a positive change in mindset? I think there is. Um, do I believe I'm doing my little bit for the environment? Absolutely, you know. Um, so I, I, I've got to say that I, I'm a changed man. I was always very much, you know, as a chef, you know, no, I'm a carnivore. I like to eat meat. I, you know, I want to have red meat at least twice a week and I want meat with every meal. Um, I don't see the need in it at present. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I personally am very satisfied. And like you quite rightly say, you know, I've worked with many vegan athletes now. Um, and I can't, I can't say that, that, that they have a, a recovered any better or any worse. I can't say that they've performed any better or any worse, you know. Um, um, are they happy with themselves because of that lifestyle choice they've made? And I think looking back at every single one of them and I can categorically say yes. So I, I haven't been pro-vegan in my past. I'm very pro-vegan now. Um, you know, is it something that I is it something that I personally will look at continuing past kind of January? And I think possibly yes. I think my mind has been changed. Um, and because there's so many wonderful alternative products out there now um, to meat that, you know, um, and there's a, a very, very good friend of mine that has developed a vegan burger that he cooked for me in his development kitchen. And it was the best, it was the best hamburger I've ever had in my life. You know, um, you cut into it, you cook it medium and it bleeds. And it tasted better than any hamburger I've ever eaten in my life, you know. Wow. And I'll put that up there against kind of Shake Shack and Five Guys, you know, that are guilty pleasures, but it was better than that, you know. Um, I don't know if you know that this isn't a range of products, but but it tastes better than any chicken I've ever eaten in my life. Um, so if I can get the same amount of goodness from that, um, and it, it's not having such huge impact on the environment, then why would we not? Well, yeah, no, it's really interesting. We had um, Simone Ming, who's uh, she's yeah. a world calisthenic athlete, yeah. um, personal trainer, and she's fully vegan, has been since she was a teenager. Um, obviously very successful in her field. She puts a lot of that down to her diet and her exercise, um, her diet regime. Uh, and in the episode I spoke about, I've changed my plans a lot during 2020. Yeah. The start of 2020, I was um, I was eating very healthy anyway, but I was 
eating actually a lot of your recipes and that kind of style of like yeah obviously most of my protein was coming from your chicken your turkey you know the, the yeah. standard yeah. what i call healthy um meat options so you yeah. perhaps still avoiding red meat wherever possible but having lots of yeah. chicken turkey um salmon um you know the, the bog standard the classics when it comes yeah. to sort of healthy protein sources and then i made this sort of transition to eating a lot less meat i used to have my lunches would always be vegan my breakfast was vegan and then my dinner was normally a mixture or sometimes it was vegan sometimes it was uh sort of meat based but generally lower quantity of meat yeah um, and i tried to do it all right i took like b12 supplements and did everything as far as i was concerned did a very good version of vegan i mean it's been very dangerous i mentioned this before yeah. people should just jump into veganism because Said you can eat a packet ready salt or crisps for every meal and that is vegan but that's saying not healthy and it's very dangerous you miss out on some nutrients yeah. <laughs> but i think i was doing it um doing it pretty well and i had massive effects in my my endurance not so much in my strength but particularly came to endurance yeah. i had massive improvements in 5k 10k times yeah and obviously you could you could say well you know i was training hard so i would have had improvements regardless i was um you know i had it was the weather was improving, I had good shoes, all these sort of things. But I did feel like yeah. the diet certainly improved. But one thing that was really important for me, and this links quite well into what you're talking about with the FA football and stuff, was I stopped eating meat on match days or pre-match. Okay, yeah. So, so an average said, obviously, I'm very much an amateur athlete, so I'm not going to compare yeah. the way I eat to like, you know, Harry Kane or something like that. But um, say we had like a three o'clock kickoff, uh for i was mostly playing hockey or rugby at the time um, yeah wake up in the morning and i'd either have all vegan food or certainly food free of meat so for example i might have like pancakes with like maple syrup so there would be like uh, milk maybe a little egg in there but i wouldn't have any like sort of meats as such um and no yeah. like scrambled eggs and then when it came to lunch i generally have some sort of uh maybe like beans or chickpeas some sort of sort of protein and then sort of lots of carbs but again mostly in sort of vegan sources um and i just found like in terms of digestion i would i wouldn't get like cramp i wouldn't get stitch um yeah i felt like all of the food had cleared my digestive system pre-game hey, could we stop for 30 seconds is that all right yeah <laughs> i just need to run to the toilet i'm sorry oh, yeah, <laughs> i'm really sorry <laughs> Right, while we're taking that short unscheduled break between parts one and parts two, let me please remind everyone of the Instagram page, which is at hips underscore and underscore zips with a Z. So why not head over there to get more information on the podcast with my previous guests, including Simone Ming, Charlotte Fraser, Adam Hames, Reese Smith, and there'll be more information, of course, on future guests to come. If you stumbled across this podcast by accident, I'd really recommend checking out the other episodes, which are all available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and most podcast providers. And if you're thinking of switching off now, please don't, because there's some great content to come, including Omar's future plans, what else he's achieved in sport, and this interesting subject of plant-based cooking. Anyway, back to the pod. Apologies. <laughs> so, that's no worries. I'm going to leave that in as well, just so you're aware. That, yeah. uh, that pause. <laughs> I'm actually in the basement here. 
And so I have to run up like three flights of stairs to get upstairs to the toilet. Oh, wow. so, that was very, uh, <laughs> very impressive. <laughs> um, I look, for me, I think, I think the biggest thing around veganism is that, you know, it was seen as, as potentially a bit of a, a, a kind of hippie loving trend, wasn't it? Mm. You know, and, and then it's, and then it kind of took on this, I suppose, this persona of, you know, um, well, I'm vegan, and therefore I'm better than you and, and so on, you know, and that put a lot of people off. I think the great thing about it now is, is it's become so much more, you know, it's not a movement anymore. It's very much mainstream. Um, and I, for one, am really glad to see a movement away from, you know, it just being heavy, heavy meat. You know, the biggest thing for me, I suppose, is the is the lack of bloating. You know, it's the fact that I I feel like I've got a bit more energy and whether that's kind of in my mind or not, you know, um, uh, you know, and nobody can really explain the placebo effect. However, you can't deny the placebo effect and therefore, you know, it clearly works, doesn't it? You know, so. Oh yeah. And I mean, if the, placebo, if the placebo effect works, then it doesn't matter. If you feel good, then Absolutely. great. Absolutely. I remember, um, so I recall, I said this in the last episode, we spoke about this, but I, so I ran this 10K, um, it would have been around about, um, I think it was say like, like May time. And I yeah. ran it, which you know, I think it was something like 40, I forget the time now, it was 40 minutes point something. So like for someone of my ability, that's a pretty fast 10K. Yeah. Um, I think I knocked something like five minutes off my PB in this one particular day where I'd eaten vegan for the whole week before. Yeah. And <clears throat> and by, I crossed like the finish line, by which I mean like the lamppost in the park because yeah. uh, <laughs> it was lockdown. <laughs> and then I just sort of stopped thinking and then I just didn't feel tired it's like I stopped and was expecting to be like passed out on the floor kind of yeah. like, oh, what a great time I was amazing I'm just thinking if it wasn't that my car was parked near that this lamppost I could have just carried on running I had no reason to stop I only stopped because it was time to go home and have dinner but I felt yeah. I could have had another 10k and that yeah. that lack of said that lack of stitching my muscles felt so well fueled um and it was just it was quite an eye-opening moment when but one thing I would say, which um, said you, you kept using the word veganism, which obviously is, is, the, is the correct term, mm. but um, I actually much prefer the term sort of plant-based because I think veganism said, A, it's a whole movement and to be vegan, you have to align yourself with the, like, the politics and the ethics, which for me, I'm yeah. very much sports performance first. Yeah. Everything else is a great bonus. So if I can play better yeah. and feel better and be healthier yeah. and help the environment, that's fantastic. I'm not, yeah. I'm not those people who's kind of wants to, wants to do both. I'm very much focused on the sports Actually, side. You're a hundred percent right. A hundred percent right. And I think, I think that's a big part that we need to get over. And I've always, again, I've always been anti plant-based tag. You know, I've always been anti plant-based tag. Um, again until just recently because what you say is absolutely right you know uh, the veganist kind of movement is solely based 
in my opinion, around the morals of kind of eating meat and the production of meat and so on. Um, as whereas plant-based is about eating food that's doing yourself better, isn't it? You yeah. know, you can feel, you know, I mean, one thing that came out of the Game Changers documentary, I've got to say, you know, was that we we had a football camp not long after that documentary came out and half of the squad turned up and were vegan, you know. Wow. Mm. And, and you can imagine me and Mike were like, oh, my God, well, what do we do? We haven't planned for this because in the summer at the World Cup, you know, um, everybody was eating meat and fish. And what do we do now? Um, but actually, we turned it to our real advantage, which was there were some of these football players that weren't regular vegetable eaters. And now they have no choice. And so, you know, it was this massive piece of education, which was if you've made this decision, this is what you've got. And actually, you know, we saw some of these players really flourish under this. You know, I mean, they all started eating meat you know a couple of days later as i introduced <laughs> kind of katsu curry and it was like yeah well you know maybe i'll just have that you know but it was the fact that that it had opened their eyes to this cornucopia of of other you know ingredients other than just meat rice and and sauce you know it it i think it's done a wonderful thing and mm. i'm very pro it yeah, and I said before we draw a line under the that plant-based discussion, I mean, there's a few key points for me. I think the term plant-based doesn't suggest any sort of exclusivity. Um, yes. Whereas veganism does. Veganism is like you're all in. Plant-based to me just says you're, in my opinion, just you're increasing your plant intake, you're reducing your meat intake. So yeah. for me, I'd say, you know, I'm semi-plant-based. I have two out of my three meals don't contain meat. Um, and that's already if from a health point of view, if said, I don't believe all the evidence is clear cut, but from what I've seen yeah. from a health yeah. point of view, um, that's a good thing. I'm, 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 I seem to be, I'm reducing my cholesterol intake. I'm in theory, improving heart health, all these sort yeah. of things I'm getting while not being exclusive, exclusive vegan. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right in saying that. And I think that's a, I think it, I've got to say it's probably the best argument I've heard actually for, for you know, um, kind of going plant-based is, is that people put themselves under huge amounts of pressure, don't they? To, to you know, when it comes around to January, right, I'm going to do for January, um, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go plant-based, so I'm just going to go vegan, or I'm, I'm going to stop drinking alcohol, or I'm going to stop doing this, and we, and we, and we do this sudden stop with anything, don't we, and actually, it sets us up to fail, doesn't it, quite miserably, but you're quite right, if we can take a, a very kind of relaxed, kind of attitude towards it and say I'm going to try and do these things the chances of us succeeding have become far greater don't they yeah well I mean I've spent the last um 12 months with the 
the meat nicotine patch essentially on my arm so yeah. I've, I've slowly been reducing i've got that uh, chicken thigh strapped on the arm and i love that yeah, and I've, i'm slowly decreasing i'm slowly changing it wouldn't be beyond all all ideas that i could be vegan this time next year for example like fully yeah. um equally there's a chance i could be completely fully meat eating again um yeah i think it's just about if you take away that 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 label as such and it just becomes like another option then... but not putting pressure on yourself are you no and you're not enabling people to put pressure on you because i think once you yeah. we all know it's like you're in the pub that's, and your mate goes i've gone vegan <laughs> straight away they've opened themselves up for a for an attack and i'm always the first to be doing that i can't wait to uh tear you them down but there's no right. need to do that really if you just if you leave it as non-exclusive you know your yeah. relationship with food is non-exclusive then uh, yeah, it gives you more options and i would like to finish said we're going to draw a line under that actually actually one one quick question um so you mentioned your perhaps your outlook changed slightly could could you see yourself perhaps doing a plant-based book or plant-based recipes in the future yeah i th i think i kind of most definitely i th i th i think um i think that within my kind of journey i'm i'm right at the beginning of that journey um you know as we get on and we talk about you know my new kind of beginnings in business and so on um my eyes have been opened up to some incredible development work that's going on in the world of plant-based eating um and I'm an absolute convert to some of the work that's happening out there in the world. Um, and I think I would love actually to do some form of plant-based uh, cookbook. So if there's any publishers that are listening, I'm here and I'm waiting. <laughs> bring bring your checkbooks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, yeah, so so I'm I've said it about several times now, but I am finally gonna draw a line underneath that uh, vegan subject. Uh, I would just like to add in said my uh, from my healthcare point of view, just a reminder, obviously uh taking on a vegan lifestyle isn't about risks. Um there are risks of malnutrition if you do it wrong. Uh make sure you if you if you have any health issues, underlying health issues, you consult a doctor before doing so. And if not, you still just make sure you do your reading. Like I read a hell of a lot of research papers and books before I changed the way I ate, made sure you know, I was taking said vitamin B12 as a classic supplement. Um, and you know, I was making sure I was getting enough proteins. So as an athlete, just go and eat loads of salads won't necessarily be enough for you for recovery. You gotta make sure you're getting your um, something to replace that meat. In my case, it was mostly using like beans and legumes, but but I think in summary, just make sure you do your research before you just change your whole lifestyle. But so that is a line officially drawn. Um, Fabulous. And uh, before we go on to actually what I think will be quite an exciting finale, um, I just want you to give me really, let's say two or three highlights from your career. Uh, but I want you to give me two or three as a chef um, and two or three as someone who's enjoyed the ride. So I said, in your case, said you've been to the Ashes, you've been to the World Cups, you've been in Olympic camps. So 
so as a sports fan and as a chef your top two or three yeah so i think i can go to the sports fan bit very very quickly which which is um running onto the pitch in suwon in korea in 2017 um because we had just won the under 20s world cup and to be part of that team to be the first english football team to win anything in 51 years um and to be with such a small group of people and to accomplish that um will live with me forever um the other one as a fan <clears throat> i mean there's several right so being around the England football team um, is a pretty special thing, you know, to be part of. Um, I will always remember my first time getting on the team bus, leaving the Grove Hotel in Watford to drive to Wembley and being you know, like hyper emotional because I'm sat on the team bus with the England football captain sat behind me um the traffic stops people were hanging out their car windows and beeping at you and you know and then driving into the stadium is a really special thing um i think however to top that was winning a a penalty shootout at a world cup mm -hmm. just to give me so that game finished at extra time um and i decided to move from the technical seats and move back into the dressing room because i couldn't i couldn't watch you know and i remember sat at one of the boys um seats and there was this tiny little black and white television in the corner of the dressing room and i and i sat there with my hands kind of covered my face i was just about to call my wife and say hi yeah I'll see you tomorrow. There's no way we're going to win this. Jordan Henderson steps up and misses his penalty kick. Eric Dyer steps up and scores. And um, and there was kind of this rule where once you'd come into the dressing room, you weren't then allowed back onto the pitch. And there was a big Russian man with a, a very big gun. And I... I kicked open the dressing room door, knocked this man out the way and ran down the corridor, ran onto the pitch because, you know, you know, it was just an incredible moment. Um, and then I suppose in, in terms of my career. So before, before we get on to the career, actually. Uh, yeah, go on. Yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> good questions there. Uh, so, uh, so obviously Harry Kane, I'm guessing, is front of the bus, captain, merchant. Where... So, yeah, so we all have our places on the bus, right? Who's back of so, the bus? Who's got, who's got so, the back seat? I can't tell you who's at the back seat because I never, I never look that far. So you've obviously got the gaffer right at the front. Um, and then in the seat, I kind of... Um, opposite him is uh, Steve, and then you have the coaches. Um, then right behind the coaches is myself, and I used to sit right next door to the dock. So I was always in safe hands. Right behind us would normally be Kyle Walker, 
and um, uh, uh, Jordan Pickford. And, I, and then I think Harry sat behind them, but Harry had a seat by himself. But everybody has their own particular position on the bus, you know, and there's an awful lot of superstition around that, you know, and if you, for me, I've never been superstitious until I worked in football. And it was if I would get on the bus before the dock, you know, it, it, it would then mean that we were going to lose a game. So the doc would then have to wait until I got on the game. Uh, I got onto the bus. And if I wasn't wearing a particular pair of socks, I couldn't get onto the bus because that would have an adverse effect on the result. Um, and there's, and you end up in this dark tunnel of, you know. <laughs> um, but, but, I think from a sports fan's point of view, like the fact that I sit on that bus and have sat on that bus, um, it, I suppose for me, it's, it's that moment where you realize how very special the thing that I do is. Um, and the people that I'm surrounded by are, are real bona fide kind of superstars. You know, it's, um, it, uh, that ride from Watford down to Wembley can be, for me, a very emotional thing, you know. Okay, so then, uh, so I interrupted you anyway. So you're talking about your career highlights now. So career highlights. Um, God, it, that's a really difficult question. <laughs> um, what are my career highlights? I think... I'm going to be really, I'm going to be really terrible and, and say that um, I'm not going to answer you with anything specific here. I'm going to say that the people I've met along the way and, you know, um, the decisions that I've made along the way within my career, however very wrong they felt at the time, have always been right. Um, and that... I think the biggest thing that I've learned throughout my professional career is don't be afraid to make a decision that one will upset people um, um, and that two you're uncertain of because from uncertainty um, and from upset, you know, it, it generally means that you're doing something for yourself to better yourself um and i think that's that's the biggest thing that i would take from my professional career you know a life is really hard and um you know sometimes you've got to make very difficult decisions and for you to progress professionally um you're gonna have to make some really really tough decisions so I, I, I couldn't actually say there's, there's nothing in my career that says, you know, oh, there was once that I cooked a souffle and it was perfect. Or, you know, um, I, I cooked a bit of lamb once and it was perfectly to 52 degrees. It's about, you know, I've made some horrific decisions in my career. 
that have led me down complete dead ends. Um, and then I've made some really bold, some really bold outlandish decisions that at the time I've even questioned my own sanity, <laughs> but they've always led me on to something bigger and better um, and that have propelled my career forward. Well, yeah, I mean, that would actually be a perfect way to finish, but we're not going to because I've got something else to talk about, but that would have been a lovely way, fade out, <laughs> fade to black, credits, etc. Um, I, I thought you were going to say meeting the hairy bikers, because I think that would have been up on my... Uh, on my... Well, well, okay, if we're going to go there, then <laughs> I mean, the hairy bikers are fabulous, you know, James Martin, um, I... I filmed a sequence with uh, Gordon Ramsay last year when I was uh, still at Harlequins, um, which was fabulous because it, it was the first time on camera, his producer came back to me and went, look, I don't think we can use the segment we filmed for you because Gordon's really worried because the amount of profanity that you used far outweighed the amount that he used and he's worried that you're going to look now more aggressive than he does and now and, and now we can't use it so that was a wonderful experience to outswear Gordon Ramsay oh yeah <laughs> um so yeah there are many of those things but but no, I'm going to stick to my original answer there. No, that's very wise. So, so I mean, Gordon Ramsay must be a um, would be quite interesting guest to talk to from your point of view because obviously he's a chef, but he's also got quite a lot of good history of his Ironman triathlons and stuff like that. So he's actually, yeah. I suppose, cooks for himself as a let's say a semi like elite athlete in some ways. So that'd be quite interesting. Um, yeah. He's a fascinating human being. One, because he just operates at a million miles an hour 100% of the time. There is, I, I can't imagine that Gordon ever, ever shuts down, really. You know, he's just, he's, he's just a million miles an hour all the time. Um, and arguably, that's what's made him incredibly successfully the globe over, you know. Um, as well as being arguably one of the best operators and best chefs on the planet. Um, you know, an absolute lunatic, though. Absolute lunatic. But you can't help but absolutely love the man, can you? Well, I know, exactly. I'll let you uh, <laughs> slip me his digits at the end as well. <laughs> of course. <mate. laughs> um, okay, so... So yeah, so okay, so we're now going to move on just to finish. So I am cautious of time, but I really want to get onto the subject. I mean, it's going to be really interesting. Which is, so firstly, your next sort of big projects. I assume your focus of the FA. So we're talking about the Qatar World Cup uh, this, yeah. year, this year. Anything else, sort of sports-wise, you've got on the horizon? No. So I've I've kind of I've kind of. I suppose over lockdown, you know, um, an awful lot has happened. Um, and I've decided to put the vast majority of my sport work um, on hold for a while um, um, and concentrate solely on, on the football. Um, but then I've also, I've also 
whilst we've been in lockdown, you know, and I was I was feeding, you know, half of the Premiership at one point, half of the Premier League at one point, you know, um, I was I was feeding, you know, half the F1 grid at one point. Um, I I kind of decided that look, I've got all these years of experience, and what I really want to do is enable people to be able to eat as well as Harry Kane, as well as Lando Norris, um, you know, um, and take those years of knowledge um, and and produce a product that is better than anything else in the marketplace that everybody can eat at home. And that's kind of led me on to, you know, my new business venture. And I said, so we always finish with any other business, um, but I've got a pretty good idea where your any other business will be. So we can, we can skip the formalities. Let's skip the formalities. Uh, yeah, so, you, so you've started this new business. Um, yeah. So explain the, well, I suppose you've already alluded to the thought process, which is to allow people to eat like elite athletes. But I suppose what's yeah. the logistics behind that? Yeah, so, so we've taken my... A kind of 15 years knowledge um my uh, one of my co-founders mike naylor um who who i've spoken about um we've taken our combined now 30 years knowledge in in and we've put that into a food product um that that you will be able to buy at home you know um and so we're looking at launching mid-February um, and, and you'll be able to log on to our website, much as I suppose you can do with a lot of other meal prep platforms. Um, what we like to think is, is that one, our food is incredible. Like I cannot, I cannot wax lyrically enough about how really delicious our food is and i'm not saying that because you know i'm involved in it you know what you will get from us um are frozen meals that you can put into your oven or into your microwave um you know and have kind of you know if you put it in your microwave you you've got the most nutritious delicious fresh meal but you've got it in six minutes um and you know when we kind of started working on the development and we were working through the science and the nutrition it was always my ultimate goal that people could have me cook for them every single night of the week but without the profanity and the washing up okay <laughs> so, so you know it's 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 me the, uh, the food that you will be able to buy is as true to my uh, kind of DNA and as true to the food that I cook for Harlequins Rugby Club or the England football team or the England uh, cricket team or the British rowing team or all of those teams that I've worked with, you know, it's 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 so strongly linked to my kind of food um, 
but you can buy it at a decent price. And like I say, without the profanity and the washing up, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a win-win for everybody, you know. Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, I was going to so I was going to say, I think the, the science behind it, I suppose, is interesting as well, because I'm someone who does a lot of food prep um, for myself. Yeah. And, you know, if you, if you, if you cook a piece of salmon and then you put in a Tupperware and then you put in your rucksack, you take it to work um, yeah. and you, and I, I like to bulk cook. So say you cook like five salmons over, not five yeah. whole salmons, that'd be ridiculous, five salmon fillets, etc. Um By the time you come to eat it, it's battered, the microwaves dried it out, etc. Yeah. So therefore you got to adapt your meals. So I eat a lot of like curries, risottos, yeah. um, pasta dishes, stuff that, can be microwaves you, you tend to hold off on sort of creamy sauces stuff that can split in the microwave yeah, or stuff that goes dry so yeah. when you when you come to design the menu you must be very cautious of sort of food that yeah, looks good yeah. when it's in the pan but also looks good when it's been transported so we, 100 miles and yeah we've got you know initially it is and me sitting down, you know, if I talk you through our design process here, it's me sat down with a load of ingredients that not only do I love, but a Mike Naylor, our nutritionist, has said, these are really good. This is the science behind them. So I will then come up with those recipes, you know, and it's about using really good quality ingredients. We then hand those across to our scientists who then find ways of ensuring that, that we can freeze them really quickly, you know, um, locking every single piece of nutrition that we possibly can, you know, so that then when you stick it in your microwave at home, uh, for six minutes um not only do you end up with something that is incredibly nutritionally dense but you end up with something that is really really delicious you know um and not only is it really delicious it looks incredible it smells incredible um and like i say it's it's been it's been prepared in such a way so that your fish, for instance, I mean, if I talk to you about our cod a dish, so we've got a, a, a we've got this really beautiful dish, which is, a, you know, it's a piece of cod loin um, and it comes with new potatoes and French beans. And it's got these really beautiful little sweet uh, kind of sun dried uh, tomatoes. Um, and it comes with fresh spinach and capia pesto. Um, and you pop it in your microwave, it will take six minutes. You take it out of your microwave and, and the fish is just perfect. There isn't a single dry piece on it. The potatoes taste like they've just come out of the water. You know, the spinach on the bottom is just wilted. Um, and I'm genuinely, uh, the reason that I talk so passionately about this is because at the start of this project, I was always very kind of anti, no, we can't serve frozen food. Fresh is best. That's the way it is. 
Um, and then we met this group of really quite uh, kind of wacky scientists and food development guys who explained how they can achieve these really incredible results. Um, and, and without much thought, you know, they kind of started presenting me with bits of food that they had frozen. And I, I, and I was so astonished that this piece of cod had been frozen because it was as good as any that I had just steamed in the kitchen. Um, that the duck leg, for instance, had ever been frozen and then heated in the microwave uh, for six minutes. Um, and it completely blew my mind away. And, and once I knew that we could work with these guys, uh, with these scientists, um, and that that would allow me to then really go to town on creating quite incredible food. Um, and I've, I've got to say, I'm, I'm, I lie in bed most nights, not worried about business or so on, just terribly, terribly excited. I'm, I'm so desperate to get this product out to the world, you know, to show them that, that, um, frozen food in this manner um um i think we can change the world and our vegan range is absolutely i mean i'll talk very very quickly about our our vegan nut free chicken satay which is singularly the best chicken satay that i've ever eaten in my life and I don't know how we got to the point where, you know, but these mad scientists have created this nut-free sauce and we've and we've and we've worked on it for months and months and months with this vegan chicken that I fed the vegan chicken to one of my chefs and said, uh, what do you think of the chicken? And he said, Oh my god, it's it's I actually asked me the question. Is that a French chicken? I can really, I can really taste the difference in the meat. And so I said, well, it's, it's actually not chicken at all. And there's no nuts in the sauce. It's unbelievable. Um, and that's just the starting point. You know, I think the exciting thing about this is that I've arguably got, you know, the best operations team the best kind of development team and like I say a room full of mad scientists are kind of around me um I've got the best logistics team um and and we are really hoping to change people's lives you know but we're not just trying to sell a product here and that's something that kind of rings a really close to my heart which is that we are we're all about kind of education so what we want to do around kind of the food and so on is that when you sign up and become a customer of ours um you know we we want to be able to build this community around food nutrition health and wellness where we want to deliver to our customers quite in-depth educational pieces you know so that people can get to the heart of what they're eating and understand their bodies and 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 really and really kind of allow them to make the best 
decisions so that uh, you know we have this phrase within the business which is we want to be enabled we want to enable people to be able to make personal positive change you know um and i think i i don't think we could have come up with a a a better tagline you know um it really rings true to all of the founding members that this isn't just about meal prep it's not just about food it's about passing on every bit of information that we hold within our heads so that we can create a better future for everyone um and if we can do that around the development of plant-based food as well you know um because actually on my whiteboard in my office it says nothing other than plant-based ideas you know we are developing now for version two you know um as we roll out more and more produce you know we are developing more and more and more kind of plant-based meals because that's where that's where i see the future being in food mm. uh, and 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 you know i genuinely think that we can change a perception of plant-based food you know especially if our vegan chicken nut free satay is anything I had to go by the starting point you know <laughs> yeah no i um i take it back what i said earlier that there is a great way to finish um and that's for two reasons firstly um <laughs> i said i'm pretty much drooling at the at the camera at the moment um haven't eaten since lunchtime i've now heard you recite four or five amazing sounding meals <laughs> Um, which is really concerning. The second thing that concerns me is if you keep bigging up your food anymore, I think you might struggle to get your head through that door. So I think that's another reason to maybe Thanks, have that very soon. <laughs> but um, but no, so so just to finish off, so what's the name of the company and where can people find out more stuff? So we're called uh, Tweaked. And if you go to www.tweaked.uk, um, you can sign up there. And then as soon as we're ready, um, I will ping you all out an email um, and then we can get you to sign up and we can get some, like I say, some really incredible food out to, you You know. Um, I mean, one thing to add to the food is that we've also built a cold press juice lab as well. So each meal won't only be this really incredibly delicious meal that's ready in six minutes, but with each meal, you'll get this cold pressed juice as well, you know, um, which I will enable uh, the benefits of the meal and it will enable you to uh, kind of hit your performance goals, you know, and be that that you don't have any performance goals, you just want to eat a better a better standard of food um you want to eat a little bit healthier or be that that you want to you know you want to a kind of a concentrate your performance goals on being better at endurance sport or you want to be able to recover better you know um but this is not a diet website you know we 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 don't encourage you know a weight loss we're a 
about great food for performance. Perfect. And that's who we are. Great. Um, so, well, yeah, so I'll, I'll share some of that information on the on the Instagram page, which is at hips underscore and underscore dips. So I'll put more information on there. I'm hoping when the food's ready, you're going to let me try some. And then hey, when... like the biggest box of it ever. All right. <laughs> so then, you know, there'll be a, I'll do some tasting and I'll let everyone know how great I'm sure it's going to be. And that'd be fantastic. So I think to finish off, all I can say is Omar, thanks for joining me uh, for this bumper edition of the podcast. I think nearly two hours now. And, uh, and yeah, thanks for coming. And I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much, mate. I'll speak soon. I'm hoping lots of you have managed to make it to the end of this bumper edition of the podcast. Omar offers some really interesting insights into the practical approach to sports cooking and nutrition, as opposed to that more theoretical approach you might get from, say, a dietitian or a nutritionist. Omar was a guest I really wanted to get involved from the start, and now that door is open, I really hope we can work together on future projects. Uh, but regardless, I really want to thank Omar for his time, because as you can tell, his time is pretty precious. I just want to make a quick disclaimer in case Ian Forbes lawyers are listening. When listening back to this interview, I realise my words may well have been misconstrued. Ian Thorpe, nine times Olympic champion, does not own a restaurant called Torpedoes. And if he did, I'm sure it'd be linked to his nickname, Torpedo, linked to Torpedoes, and not due to the fact he caters entirely for unsavoury characters. So a few crises averted. Uh, to finish on a slightly sombre note, I feel it would be amiss not to acknowledge the fact that the UK has reached the rather awful milestone of 100,000 COVID deaths. As someone who's been there and seen some of these deaths firsthand, I really wanted to offer my condolences for family who have lost loved ones and anyone who's had a really hard time this year. And I think it's important to remind everyone the guidelines that even this really difficult time, we really have to stick together and follow those rules as close as we can. I believe the end of that tunnel was in sight. I, I do hope this podcast attracts a rather diverse listenership. And on that note, stats do show that the BAME community has been disproportionately affected by this pandemic. And perhaps more concerningly, the BAME community has also been very slow to uptake in the vaccine. Uh, this includes NHS staff. I've been able to see all the latest stats from my hospital, and I know the BAME community have been very, very slow to uptake the vaccine, with a massive increase in the number of uh, white white staff being vaccinated over other other races, which is a real concern. Um, I implore all you people listening at home, and this is in my pharmaceutical opinion, not as a podcast presenter, to please take the vaccine. The risks from the from the virus long-term and this podcast is aimed primarily at athletes and there's a lot of people who have recovered I mean away from say death's door but they're a long way away from being able to compete in any sport again the risks from the virus seems to be considerably worse than any risk that could come from a vaccine and this week alone I've seen a lot of deaths on the ward and I can tell you I have seen black people white people Asian people young people old people men and women die from this condition so if you're in any doubt please please get vaccinated remember the decisions we take now in terms of vaccination in terms of self-isolation in terms of 
following the guidelines is to protect a your health b your family and loved ones health and c the health and recovery of this nation and on that note all i can do is say please stay informed please stay aware and most importantly please stay safe Thank you.